This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. It is spring. Spring brings us not just warm weather, but the blooming of plants everywhere. And unfortunately, those plants put a lot of pollen in the air that gives some people hay fever and and the like. And sadly, I'm one of those people. Hence, my scratchy voice, which I will do my best through some combination, perhaps, of chloroseptic and Tito's vodka to manage. I would like to pause a moment to thank everyone who contributed to last week's pledge drive at KDVS. And particularly, i uh, like to put a word of thanks out there to Clayton and the other folks that helped man the booth during the hour of this program. Thanks to everybody in the booth and answering the phone and everyone who participates in this excellent community radio station. When I say that, I refer not just to KDVS, but... Also to KZFR, another fine community-based radio station which uh, we are blessed to be heard through on terrestrial radio. Hope in the future we can bring those two great institutions together. We're going to see what we can do about that. We do like to start off programs on a lighter note sometimes, a happier note, a more amusing note. And looking at the, the volume of material in front of me for today's show, uh, well, it may be a little short on some of those items, So let's do something unusual and start today's program with the good, the bad, and the ugly. We note that according to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for... The Birds and the Bees, with the news that Pornhub.com has introduced a new bee-sexual channel, which features explicit footage of bees pollinating flowers. (laughs) The site will make donations to a bee conservation charity to help ensure that bees continue to fornicate and pollinate. Well, we do know that birds do it and bees do it, but the bees themselves... Well, I don't want to get into bee biology. Yeah, somewhere along the way, there's fornicating going on in the bee world. As anyone can, you know, now find out if they wish to go to Pornhub. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for San Francisco, where the public defecation epidemic, according to the week, connected, of course, to its large homeless population, is getting worse. The city's recorded number of, quote, Human feces incidents, unquote, has increased every year for the past eight years, from 5,547 in 2011 to 28,084 in 2018. Now, I know there's only 365 days in a year. 28,000, that's what, 70 incidents a day? And finally, it was an ugly week, we'd have to say, for racial integration with the news that the student newspaper of Williams College in Massachusetts has recently called for racially segregated campus housing. The editors of the Williams Record contend that housing students by race or affinity housing will help minoritized students 
on the primarily white Williams campus better express their identities without fear of tokenization or marginalization. To those of us old enough to remember when being a segregationist was a mainstream American political position, well, we just uh, are saddened by this one. And finally, we'd have to say it was both an ugly and a bad week for teens in America with the news that a Washington University study last week revealed that teens now spend about eight hours a day, and we should add adults about six and a half hours a day, sitting down. This is due to computer use and television. And I'm sure we'll do more complaining about that sort of stuff in the future. Maybe later on this same show. We'll see. We try to look for good news items. We used to, we used to do a quote, a quip, a joke, good news. We kind of got away from that, but here's a good news item for today's program. According to Norman Mayerson writing in the New York Times, it's now pretty clear, and, and we have talked about this in the show previously, it's now pretty clear that you can stop putting premium gasoline in an engine that only requires regular. Only 18% of new cars sold in the U.S. need premium-grade gas, and I, I'm somewhat skeptical about that number unless you're driving a Maserati. And there is no advantage in performance, fuel economy, or emissions control for the other 82% of drivers to use high octane. Not necessary. Yet, AAA estimates that drivers waste more than $2 billion a year buying more octane than their vehicles require. If your car requires premium, and again, you check that one out carefully, then you should stick with, you know, the higher grades. But the truth is a tank full of lower octane gas in a pinch is probably also fine. The stats are that most engines can be kept under control with an octane rating lower than 91, and they gain no benefit from premium. There you go. We first passed this little pearl of wisdom along, courtesy of listening to Dr. Bill Wattenberg, I think, uh, a former giant of KGO who passed last year. This is one of Dr. Bill's favorite topics, and uh, we, we knew that he knew what he was talking about. So there you go. Save a little dough. And because we are widely heard in the general vicinity of California's state capital in Sacramento, we can't resist pulling from Dan Walter's last column titled, Some Bills Are Silly and Some Are Just Dumb. To quote from Mr. Walter's, Every session of the California legislature generates some bills that can only be labeled as silly. That is, they defy common sense. One example this year is a bill that would abolish paper receipts at retail businesses, thereby requiring customers to supply their email addresses so merchants can send them electronic records of their purchases. The rationale for this legislation, Assembly Bill 161 by Assemblyman Phil Ting, San Francisco Democrat, is to reduce paper waste that may contain dangerous chemicals. And wasn't it the Iron Chancellor, Otto von Bismarck, that once pointed out that there's two reasons for things offered in politics, the, the one that sounds good and the real reason. Up to a point, I guess, this one sounds good, sort of. But Walters notes that the supposed problem this bill purports to solve is minuscule, or more likely infinitesimal. But if it becomes law, it will build databases for merchants that can be used for marketing and make it easier for hackers to steal consumers' identities. You know, I got an idea. Why don't we take San Francisco Democrat Phil Ting and, and, and post him on the detail of dealing with human feces incidences in San Francisco? You know, in a way, that seems strangely appropriate for this particular item. 
You know, my cousin uh, dropped by a couple days ago, pretty good guy. He's kind of the family genealogist. He said his dad was up in arms over the fact that there was a proposed bill that would make you give your email to merchants. My cousin thought that his old man had it all wrong, and I said, no, no, I'm sure he's referring to this bill that's going to require email receipts for every purchase we make ever. Well, in fairness, I think it did, uh, it did have some provisions to, uh, to let smaller businesses off the hook. But it is still, in our opinion, one dumb-ass idea. Or is that a dumb-ass idea? You know, let me segue a, a bit into a, a very funny story that my cousin told me, which uh, I think is radio parallax worthy. Our common ancestors between uh, myself and, and, and uh, my cousin go back to the island of Terceira, which is in the Portuguese archipelago of the Azores. A couple years back, I scooped my nephew up out of Chico and uh, put him on a plane, and we went over and uh, spent some time in the Azores, which is a very lovely place to visit. A man working the airbase there, an American, said that uh, his description of the Azores was, imagine that Ireland and Hawaii got together and had a kid. I kind of like that one. Anyway, back on the island that our ancestors come from, Terceda, they're very, very proud of a bit of historical legacy that is commemorated with this huge statue in the largest town on the island. It is a rather fanciful statue of large bulls, very fearsome-looking animals, looking quite menacing. And the reason they have these bulls, and the reason they have an an event, I think, on a weekly basis where bulls are, are let go on a rope, they're brought in and... For a while, they're turned loose to run through the streets of the city. Various locals and tourists alike who lack good sense then go out and taunt the bulls and wave, wave umbrellas at them and get the bulls to charge them. I, I did not witness any mayhem related to this uh, rather inane activity, uh, but I'm sure it happens once in a while. And the mayhem tradition that is being followed uh, on the island goes back to an incident when... King Philip II of Spain sent his armies in to take over Portugal, and uh, Portugal was under the Spanish thumb for, I don't know, 60 years, 80 years, something like that. The Spanish fleet sailed to the Azores to basically announce that they were now under Spanish control, but they resisted on Terceira. They resisted by apparently turning their bulls loose to run through the streets and thwart the Spanish soldiers. Which, you know, I'm sure is based on a real incident. But what I did not know, when I learned from my cousin, was that that worked the first time. After having their ranks broken up by charging bulls, the Spanish learned subsequently to spread out a little bit. And thus it was that although they, they resisted for years, they did eventually come under Spanish control. But, you know, that's not how the Chamber of Commerce PR types like to tell the story. But uh, I do want to thank uh, my cousin for his investigative journalism in this particular area. I don't want to give on Dan, Dan Walters uh, quite, quite yet. Going back to his column, he notes that another silly bill is Assembly Bill 1162, the brainchild of Assemblyman Ash Kyra, a San Jose Democrat. It would prohibit hotels from supplying their patrons with tiny containers of shampoo and other personal care products once again on the spurious notion that it would reduce the waste stream. Kyra is taking his cue from a local ordinance to that effect in Santa Cruz County. 
said Walters, if the residents of Santa Cruz want to engage in that feel-good gesture, well, that's their business. Why should their foolishness be foisted on the 40 million other Californians and millions of people who visit California each year? Anyway, I'm with Walters on this one. You know, if you don't want to use the little shampoo bottle, you don't have to. I'm sure they can pass it along to the next patron. I beg to differ. They could have a shampoo dispenser there and eliminate all that plastic that winds up in the ocean. Well, yeah, there's that. But I really don't think with the sheer volume of plastics out in the ocean, these little tiny bottles, which you can sometimes take home, you can reuse, you can refill, are really what's causing these garbage patches out in the ocean. No snowflake ever thinks it's responsible for the avalanche. I see. I had a visitor uh, a couple days back as I was putting together some of this material, an old, co- an old college friend who was looking at a section we had set aside on plastics, exactly this topic of plastics and recycling. She said, you have to do a show on this. And I said, yes, we do. But it isn't today's show. We did talk about recycling a few weeks back and how uh, apparently we're doing it wrong. And there was a follow-up article in the... East Bay Times on this very topic. In conjunction with Mountain View's Earth Day, where a fair was educating people on what can and can't be recycled, Aaron Baldessari wrote on the topic. I do want to editorialize that I can remember when they first started advertising uh, on television that, well, don't have to worry about recycling this bottle. No muss, no fuss. When you're done, you just throw it away. And the food industry along the way was all for this. They, they didn't want to have to store old bottles and reuse them, which, you know, was the standard for, like, I don't know, a century. I can recall working for Hunt Wesson Foods, where they would take bottles and they would refill them. You had to clean them. It was a pain. They didn't want to do it. They didn't want to store the bottles. Uh, supermarkets didn't want to be responsible for being part of this process. It's just easier, well... Frankly, it's no muss, no fuss, you just throw it away. As reported on this program and reiterated in this article, that uh, that horrible clamshell uh, plastic that seems to wrap so tight you've got to use a knife or scissors to extract it, well, that stuff is not recyclable. You know, we're, we're going to bring someone on the show in the future to explain the intricacies of this because it does get a little bit complicated. But here were the general principles uh, enumerated in the article. Do recycle aluminum cans and foil. Also glass bottles and jars, but no other glass. Do recycle metal cans and lids, but no other metals. Do recycle plastic bottles, tubs, jugs, and lids. Do recycle milk, juice, and soup cartons. And do recycle clean paper products such as catalogs, junk mail, newspapers, magazines, paper bags, phone books, manila folders, and receipts. Those troublesome receipts can be recycled. But, notes the piece, do not recycle clamshell plastic containers. Do not recycle plastic wrap and bags. Do not recycle black plastic. Do not recycle ceramics or other glassware. Do not recycle hot and cold coffee or styrofoam cups. Do not recycle egg cartons, but you can throw those in your compost. Do not recycle frozen food boxes. Do not recycle padded envelopes. Do not recycle takeout containers. I did not know this one. Do not recycle food, soiled paper, or cardboard, anything with liquid still inside. 
Do not recycle packaging materials like foam peanuts. Do not recycle aerosol cans, propane cylinders, or photographs. Wow. And continuing on this topic of plastics in conjunction with Earth Day 2019, uh, the parade section of your local paper did have a section titled, Humans Have a Plastics Problem. And we all can be a part of the solution. Some of these you know already. When possible, of course, remember to bring your own bag to the supermarket, something I'm sorry to report I frequently forget. But here's one I'd never heard of. Instead of plastic wrap, there's a thing called bees wrap, described as being handmade in Vermont by infusing cotton with beeswax, jojoba oil, and tree resin. The result is a reusable food wrap, described as in beautiful prints. The tip to it is use the warmth of your hand to soften the wrap and create a seal. Then when it's cool, the wrap will hold its shape. Interesting. I don't know about this particular product, but I'm sure others related to it uh, have a great future. Apparently we have alternatives to synthetic sponges. Uh, There's some out now that are good for four to six months and are made from a cotton alternative. They can be washed and tumble dried. And when they're finally giving up the ghost, you can put them in your compost pile. And I was reading about how we can use, instead of plastic water bottles, you can buy glass water bottles that are now out there. But uh, a friend of mine pointed out that they apparently wrap those in plastic as, as, they, as, your, as the glass in your uh, car windshield has plastic around it to make it safety glass. Apparently these have plastic around them to keep them from shattering. I don't know. Certainly have to look at the possibility of uh, you know, using steel or glass containers and you know, buying in bulk. Here's one I was, hadn't really given much thought to. Plastic toothbrush, you know, not very recyclable, but you can make a toothbrush out of bamboo. And we are now seeing that. In fact, I saw some bamboo toothbrushes being marketed in Trader Joe's, but I'm sure a lot, many, many places have them. I did note with some sadness I was in there looking at the toothpaste because in the wake of Toms of Maine being bought up by Colgate or whoever, I was fearful that they would discontinue the fennel toothpaste, which I much prefer to mint. I can't stand mint in my toothpaste. And alas, uh, although it's advertised on the web, is still being available. Darned if I could find it anywhere. Well, that's not the only brand in the world. I did find another one that had fennel in it, but it had a bunch of other stuff in it. Didn't didn't taste so good, but oh well. I uh, have not yet tried out a bamboo a toothbrush, but but I will. I will, and I, and I hope uh, if you have, dear listener, drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. And in fact, drop us a line about anything you hear on this or other programs and give us some feedback. We appreciate that and, uh, and need it, frankly. And of course, uh, it isn't just toothbrushes that can be made out of bamboo. Uh, plastic uh, utensils can be replaced with long-lasting alternatives made of uh, bamboo, so that's something to consider. Or, or wood. Wood also works. And yes, you can now buy glass straws. I'm sure that there's paper straws and, and steel straws and God knows what kind of straws. I don't know, I don't know what, why it is that straws have become the bad guy in all of this, uh, this recycling issue. I mean, yes, we do go through a lot of straws, but in terms of sheer volume, I don't, I don't think that's the problem. The real statistics... Uh, of, of what's going on in the ocean is some pretty hair-raising stuff. Again, not for today's program, but uh, we'll talk about it in the future. And uh, moving off the subject of recycling, uh, well, let's, let's stumble our way back into the legal matters again. It's being reported that the United States Supreme Court's conservative majority 
seems poised during oral arguments this way to add a citizenship question to the 2020 census, despite evidence it would significantly suppress Hispanic participation. I don't think, ladies and gentlemen, this is an accident. If you get fewer census numbers enumerating, which is what the census is supposed to do, enumerate all of us, showing the Hispanic part of the population, it means that the states won't count them. Let's say you want to add up the electoral votes in the country. Well, looks like North Dakota, South Dakota, the number of House seats in the U.S. House of Representatives is based on the population. If you suppress the numbers of Hispanic voters, it means that states with a lot of Hispanic voters won't have as many House seats. And of course, the number of House seats you have determines the number of electors your state has in the Electoral College. I suspect that is probably the real reason behind this question being on the census. It's certainly not for the reason they're claiming that it's there for. This is part of the war on terror. I don't think so. Well, they're saying it's part of increased security. I'm I'm sure they're actually citing the so-called war on terror, but, you know, same idea. And here's a rather astonishing legal matter, which is going to probably work its way up the courts, maybe to the Supreme Court. I don't know. Apparently, the traditional police practice of marking tires with chalk for parking enforcement was judged unconstitutional by a federal appeals court. Last week, in a decision that surprised even the plaintiffs, the judges of the 6th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that marking a car's tires is a form of trespass on private property that requires a warrant, just as the Supreme Court has said a warrant is necessary for police to attach a tracking device to a car. Marking tires with white or yellow lines in order to monitor how long a car has been parked provides significant revenue for many cities without parking meters. The case originated in Saginaw, Michigan, where a lawyer was ticketed while sitting in a chalked car. The lawyer for the plaintiffs admitted he was surprised to win. We made a federal case out of the tire chalking. He added that he would seek refunds from Saginaw for people ticketed after being chalked. You know, you don't need to chalk a tire to know how long a car's been sitting there. There are high-tech solutions. And God help us if police forces are forced to resort to those, costing all of us more money in the end when they could just use chalk. Yeah, I I don't like getting tickets any any more than anybody else does. But it seems to me that, you know, they're they're within bounds to chalk a tire. Ah, That's that's just me. I don't know. If you got a different opinion, drop us a line at Info at Radio Parallax. How's that? Here's an item I cut out uh, many weeks ago. I don't know where it stands currently, but uh, many weeks back, the headline was, Judge says lawsuits claims of racism, sexism, corruption at DWR can go forward. This referred to a decision by Sacramento Superior Court Judge James McFetteridge, setting the stage for what plaintiff's attorneys vow will be a deep dive into claims of a poisonous work culture in the Department of Water Resources that nearly disastrously compromised the nation's tallest dam and the safety of nearly 200,000 residents downstream. The lawsuit is described as being brought by the city of Oroville, comma, dozens of farmers, comma, businesses, and others against the state's Department of Water Resources. The plaintiffs seek hundreds of millions of dollars in damages. We'll have to see where that goes. It has long been alleged by activists in Sacramento that the Department of Water Resources has fully been captured by the water interests it's supposed to partner with. Should we know that the lawsuit includes wide-ranging allegations of sexual and racial harassment of dam employees, widespread equipment theft by dam officials, 
book cooking to hide financial misdeeds, and destroying evidence of shoddy maintenance that plaintiff's attorneys allege contributed to the dam's disaster. Well, I don't know much about dam construction, but I do know that large craters should not emerge in your dam's spillway if they're properly built and maintained. I don't think I'm going out on a limb on that one. At any rate, we, we do solidly try to advocate for freedom of the press on this program and for, you know, investigative journalism and for, you know, digging out misdeeds. So it was that we're very depressed by this item from the Washington Post, which uh, chronicles some bad news uh, from Reporters Without Borders, the international group which uh, compiles the World's Press Freedom Index. In doing so, and for the third time in three years, the United States standing in this annual and index of press freedom has declined. The report's authors attribute this to President Donald Trump's anti-press rhetoric and continued threats to journalists in the United States. The index ranked the U.S. 48th among 180 nations and territories. The U.S. ranking fell three spots from 2018, continuing a downward trend that began in 2016. The U.S. finished, if you keep your keeping score, just above Senegal and just below Romania on this year's list. According to the Post, it also fell into the ranks of countries whose treatment of journalists is considered, quote, problematic, unquote. The first time the United States has been so classified since the organization began the index back in 2002. The top ranks were dominated yet again by European countries, Norway first, followed by Finland, Sweden, Netherlands, and Denmark. The bottom of the list included in descending order Vietnam, China, Eritrea, North Korea, and Turkmenistan. Well, I'm sure they're breathing a sigh of relief over in China for, for the fact that Eritrea, North Korea, and Turkmenistan are even worse. But uh, Reporters Without Borders cited both Trump's rhetorical hostility toward the American news media and a possibly related phenomenon, which is increasing threats of harm against reporters for this declining status of our nation. They noted that hatred in the media reached uh, the point where a gunman killed four journalists and another employee at the Capital Gazette newspaper in Annapolis, Maryland, last June. The article notes that amid one of the American journalism community's darkest moments, President Trump continued to spout his anti-press rhetoric, disparaging and attacking the media at a national level. And, you know, I want to say we do, on occasion, have to feel some uh, empathy for Donald J. Trump. After all, how long ago was it that he described falling in love with Kim Jong-un, the dictator of North Korea? Ranked just below China on the Press Freedom Index. Although Trump apparently fell in love with one of the world's worst dictators, he has to pick up the paper and see a picture of Kim Jong-un shaking hands with Vladimir Putin. Might it be said that Vladimir Putin has scooped up Donald's best girl among world leaders? Well, we just hope he doesn't overreact. And follow up something we mentioned a couple weeks ago. Some studies are, are now showing that certain meteorites hitting the Earth based on their trajectory and speed, well, people have done the math and said maybe they came from beyond the solar system because they're just coming in so fast and they're so hot, they wouldn't have been captured by the sun. In other words, they can't be orbiting the sun. They're moving too fast. Well, the article in New Scientist says that this meteor, which only measured about 50 centimeters across back in 2014 that hit our Earth's atmosphere, 
was going too fast to have been bound to the solar system. It was going about 45 kilometers per second. For it to have been bound to the solar system, these mathematics whizzes say, it would have been moving no more than about 20 kilometers per second. Now, I'm no Carl Sagan, but I know that the Earth orbits the sun moving at 18.6 miles per second. 20 kilometers per second works out to 12 miles per second. And, you know, to my knowledge, the Earth is fully bound to the solar system. So where's the error in the math? If you can figure it out, drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. We enjoy poking fun at articles in science and in other areas of endeavor that include the word may in the headline. But frankly, I, I cannot resist the headline that says, Huge Dinosaur May Have Stood on Its Tiptoes. This apparently is based on a study of some sauropod footprints from 170 million years ago and some speculation on bone structure. I don't know. But you know what? I'm okay with it. Sure. A huge dinosaur may have stood on its tiptoes. I'll I'll go with that. Mr. McMillan suggests we endorse huge dinosaur may have smoked a cigar, but I personally am not willing to go that far. Let's take a short break. This is Radio Parallax. We got lots more. For God's sakes, don't go away. <laughs> <laughs> 